Hello, friends, and welcome to another Robcast. This is episode 126, and uh, this is part nine of the Wisdom series, and this one's called Standing Firm with Pete Rollins. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> I am in the Rob Bell Industrial Complex, <laughs> otherwise known as his back garden. It's very excited to be here. This, uh, so I've been doing this Wisdom series, and then on uh, Tuesday, this past Tuesday, a couple days ago, Americans had an election, and the winner was Donald J. Trump. So Donald J. Trump is going to be the president of the United States of America. I don't like saying that sentence is like even weird. It was a big surprise, a big shock. And Pete and I actually watched the election returns together for quite a while. Yeah, in the right. early stages when people were still like no, and then yeah. it got like maybe, and then it just so anyway. What's really interesting is we've been doing this series on wisdom, and I'll often look ahead and sort of have a sense of what ones I want to do what weeks, and then the one that I had been thinking about doing suddenly had all sorts of new life and energy because of uh, what's happened in our country and in the world, and then all the responses and reactions to that. And so I was thinking... uh, I should do the Robcast, but then I should bring Pete. I kept thinking, like, so so I called Pete today. I was like, how about I do my normal podcast, but then I'll just pause at different times, and you'll, like, give running commentary, which will turn into its own thing. Absolutely. So, once again, friends, we're trying some things, and we'll see what happens. And I have three big ideas that I was going to work through. And uh, so... There is this phrase that comes up again and again in the wisdom literature. One of the things we've seen is that the, even the word Proverbs means to compare, means to say the, the foolish versus the wise, the simple versus the subtle. Um, that in the wisdom tradition, they often paint there are these two ways. And don't, don't be like this, be like this. Don't go this way, go this way. And one of the two paths, two ways, images that comes up again and again is the wicked and the righteous. And for many of us, when you hear the word righteous, you think self-righteous, which is basically, I feel good at your expense. But, uh, and that is a, I wonder if they can hear that helicopter. There's a helicopter like right overhead. Yeah, they're coming Um, for us. (laughs) They're coming for us. And, And one of the really interesting things to me is there's a line that comes up and again and again about how the righteous, chapter 12 of Proverbs, cannot be uprooted. Um, chapter 12, again, the house of the righteous stands firm. And so there is this ancient idea that there are people who are grounded and rooted, and whatever comes their way, whatever happens around them, they at some level stand firm. These are people rooted in something deeper than who the current president is of the United States. Yes. Yes. And it struck me, I'm sure, for you watching people melt down on social media. Yeah. Um, which we'll get to in the importance of venting and expressing. But, oh no, we need, and especially whatever the next four years holds, we need wisdom and we need to stand firm and to be rooted and grounded more than ever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, that's sort of where all this comes from. And uh, over the past couple of months, I, I've been reflecting and meditating on standing firm and, and what does that look, because that can seem a little vague, a little squishy. Um, so here's the three ideas. The first idea, 
I want to talk about orientation, disorientation, reorientation. Then we're going to talk about the nature of progress. And then we're going to talk about questions, pain, and humility. So is that good, Pete? Oh, sounds fantastic. You ready to go? I love it. Absolutely. Okay, okay the first thing, uh, um, I was going to say the first thing I was going to say on the Robcast <laughs> <laughs> was that there is this thing that happens in life, orientation, you have reference points, your compass works, you have a sense of what's up and what's down, and then you have a disruption. And what the disruption does is it disrupts your reference points, and now you're in disorientation. Things don't work like they used to. The maps that guided you through this territory don't help. And then gradually over time, you move from disorientation into reorientation. Mm -hmm. And that these disruptions can be deeply personal. You were taught a worldview, a way of life doesn't work anymore. And it's like, whoa, what? Uh, there can be political, it can be psychological. There are all these ways in which we move from orientation, it works for us, to disorientation. And, and the reason why I, this all of a sudden had such incredible power and electricity to me is Tuesday night, watching political experts and pundits and commentators saying things like, none of us saw this coming. None of the polls predicted this. None of the experts saw this. Mm -hmm. And you literally had on national TV in real time, very smart, sophisticated people saying, I am losing my reference points and the ways that I navigated things. And even the number of people who are like, this many people voted for Trump? This many people are in America? Um, and, and the assumption among many people, myself included, well, at the last minute, sensitivity, sensibility, sense, rationality, equality, all of these values will rise to the surface. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that will prevail and we'll be fine. Um, and that's essentially an orientation, that's a reference point. And that what we were seeing and what we've been seeing for the past few days, especially in social media, is classic ancient disorientation. Yes. And in disorientation, you vent, you range, rage, you express, you're in shock, it's surreal, you feel like you're walking around in a meat suit trying to figure out, so there. I'm going to pause. Yeah. This is my plan. I was going to pause. <laughs> there, go. What do you yeah. think? No, this reminds me, in, in philosophy, the term is used, uh, an event. An event is something that happens and nobody could predict it. It's something that, you know, it, nobody could see coming. Uh, it's whenever something happens in your life that you can't put in your diary, you can't put in your calendar, you can't expect. Uh, in theology, it's called the apocalypse. An apocalypse is a moment that, again, that just throws everything into the air. Um, and what we saw with the elections is, is that, in a sense, everybody, uh, most people, I know a couple of people who predicted uh, Trump's win, um, but most, most of us, the polls, the media, uh, Wall Street, uh, intellectual powers, everyone thought Hillary Clinton was going to win. So this was, this was an event. And events are like fires. Events can uh, they can heat you, like fire can heat you, it can cook your food, it can provide warmth. 
or it can burn your house burn down. Burn thing to the ground. And it can, yeah, and that's the thing about fire. You can't have one without the other. Events are these places where things are disrupted uh, in such a way that something novel and new and different can happen. But, you know, you don't know exactly what that's going to be. Uh, and, yeah. yeah, it strikes me that for many people, when they hear the word apocalypse, they've been conditioned by certain, certain uh, I would argue, interpretations of the Bible that apocalypse is a future event oh, yeah. that will happen at some date. When in actuality, like in the biblical story, apocalypse is something that can happen on a regular basis. Yes. It's, a, it's a shattering event, and it should be apocalypses. Yes. For so many people, it's capital T, capital A, the apocalypse, and not apocalypses, small a, yep. which happen all the time. Absolutely. All of a sudden, it's an event that disrupts the previous order of things. Yeah. And now you're in disorientation, and we might be here for a while. Yeah. And, and I think... The difference between disorientation and then this reorienting oneself, uh, the way I would describe that is it's not that you get to another place of absolute certainty where you've got all the answers. Uh, part of being human is trying to work with and live with a certain disruption that is always happening. Like disruptions are always occurring. Uh, events are always taking place. And for most of us, we're scared of that. So we hold on to our tradition, we hold on to our ideas, we build walls and we say that we've got the right answer, we've got the truth, this, this, this is my compass that helps me understand the territory of life. But in a way, uh, what someone like Albert Camus says is, well actually there is something inherently disruptive about politics and about life and, and, and we in a sense need to find a way of uh, weathering that storm of being calm in the midst of yes. crazy times. Yeah, yeah. I found myself, I was sitting there on the couch. You had left. Uh -huh. um, and I was sitting there on the couch when they started to say, actually, if Michigan or Pennsylvania goes Republican, this is done. And there was like this, that's almost like things starts to spin. Yeah. And I, and I had this, oh, we, we, me, which me, all of us, we're about to enter some disorientation. Yes. And it's, this is a totally normal response to a disruptive event. Yes. Um, and the thing I wanted to say to everybody feeling some, in some version of meltdown was or is what it means to be rooted and to stand firm is to simply identify and name it. Yes. I'm in disorientation. Yeah. And I, I may say some crazy things. Yeah. The danger is when you're disorientation and don't know you're in, yeah. in disorienting times. Well, one of, the, one of the things people do when they're disoriented is they, the defense of splitting arises. And the defense of splitting is where we create enemies and friends. You know, some, some disruptive event occurs. And our way of avoiding confronting that is to create a world where everything makes sense. They're the enemy, they're, they're the baddies, and we're the goodies. So for example, during the Second World War, uh, Germans are bad, they're evil, and the Allies are good. The, the problem is then if someone comes in and says, well, it's not, as, it's not as simple as that. You know, we have to take in some political things, what happened after the First World War, these treaties that, that really damaged the economy in Germany. That can't be heard, it's like, you're, you're one of the enemies. Right? You have to have a simple world where there's 
there's, there's those who are evil and bad and wrong and those who are pure and good and right. And that is perfectly acceptable. That's the thing about a defense mechanism. It, it arises because a person is in pain and they're disoriented and they don't know what to do. You break up with somebody and you say, that person I went out with, they're evil, they're bad, they're awful, and I'm innocent and I'm pure and I'm good. And that helps you for a little while. But the problem is, if you stay in that place for a long time, it ends up eating you up, it destroys you, it stops you from having new relationships, it stops you letting go of the past and going into the future. And it's basically war. War is, is the refusal of novelty. It creates a world where you want to destroy the enemy or you want to protect what you have. Uh, even in uh, Northern Ireland during the Troubles, you had the British Army and you had the IRA. And depending on what side of the fence you were on, the IRA were evil terrorists and the British Army were heroes or the British Army were an occupying force and uh, the IRA were freedom fighters. From, but, by the way, from what you grew up in, I have to stop right there. Yeah. Well, I have to pause you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Although the idea is for me to stop talking. Um, when people talk about how America is so incredibly divided, from what you grew up in, in Belfast, Northern Ireland, and the Troubles, yeah. do you hear that and go, oh, yeah, this is really, or do you think, oh, you have no idea what divided is? Well, I, I see it now. I, 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 right at this moment, this is why I was almost nervous about talking about this stuff, because I feel that for many people in America at the moment, there is a very strong split. There are Republicans who are terrified of Democrats and Democrats who are terrified of Republicans. And there is a, a demonizing of the other side. If you're, for example, a Trump supporter among many of my friends, that is inherently racist, sexist, you're bad, you're awful. Um, I had this problem with Brexit. But you're saying it's not. Yes, it's, now that's a problem to demonize the other. Oh, yes. Yeah, but we did, I, I, had a, I had a temptation to do this with Brexit, when in the UK we voted to leave the European Union. I thought, oh, everybody who voted to leave the European Union, they are against right. immigrants. They're all total idiots. They're all total idiots. Heartless, yeah. racist, yep. anti-immigrant idiots. Idiots. Yeah, there's always Evil. that thing that kicks in. Yeah, and, and then a few of my friends had to remind me that actually... Many of the people who voted to leave the European Union, it was, it, they, they had no jobs, they had no, uh, they, economic, they, had, they were in poverty, uh, they were people who the system had failed, and this was one of their ways to protest that failure. Um, but, but in a sense, I was too close to it to really accept that for a while. I was like, no, I can't accept that kind of nuance. I want to break the world into good and bad. But over time, that's damaging. And would you say that in moments of disruption or sadness or, oh my God, we elected Donald Trump, what's happening? S we have a default, make things simpler? Yes. In yes. trauma, in events, in disorienting times, when we're anger raging, I can't believe we elected this person. Yes. That we're almost hardwired in those moments to almost regress to very, very simple categories. Absolutely. Um, there's a book called Why Do I Do That by this therapist called Joseph um, Burgo. And why did, did I do that? Yeah, we, why do title. I do that? It's a great book, actually. But he used an example of um, this family whose son was murdered by some drug dealers. And they were completely distraught. 
and they were going through the courts trying to get this person who had been part of the murder in, put into prison. But one of the friends of the family said to that family, listen, your son was also into drugs. He was also part of the same gang. You know, he was no angel. The family couldn't take it. They had to have this idea that their son was innocent and pure and good um, because that was what was unifying them amidst the pain. So they rejected that friend. They said, I don't ever want to see you again. And it was only a year later, after the court, after this person being put in prison, that they were able to start to get a more nuanced perspective and go, okay, maybe our son wasn't the angel that we thought he was. But that could only happen over time. And that reconciliation with their friend could only happen after time. Because the, the simplification into good and bad was a way of covering over a profound disruption. And that's legitimate. Um, as I say, the only problem is that defense mechanism over time becomes more destructive. It, 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 it ultimately destroys the people who um, you know, give into it for too long. Uh, you know, Walter Brueggemann uh, and Robcast friends, I can't recommend Walter Brueggemann's writings enough, has talked about how the Psalms often fit this pattern of orientation, disorientation, reorientation, and that when you're in disorientation, you can't rush yes. reorientation. That's it. That in some ways, you have to get whatever's in there out. Yep. Uh, high, uh, college students all around LA today are marching. Kids are walking out of high schools and just marching in protest of the election results, uh, like giving expression to the anger and frustration and pain. Yeah. Um, and so this is just, this is normal. And actually, if it doesn't, if it's not given proper expression. Yeah, it becomes even worse. It will, it, will, it will become destructive. If you cannot express your anger, your pain, and your fear, it will eat you up. What about, and, and now for many people, the thought that like there's a, a majority of a House Senate majority, like, oh my word, these people could set in mo could reverse all sorts of progress, could do all sorts of horrible things. Um, that could happen. Mm -hmm. It looks like that could happen, but I also would be giving tremendous energy to something that may not... You, you'd mentioned President Obama campaigned, will shut down Guantanamo, yep. and couldn't get it shut down. Even, even though he had so much popular so support, much support, international support, and a Nobel Peace Prize, he wasn't able to do that, which he campaigned so strongly to do. Right, so there's this... There's this thing that anxiety does, which is it takes you 20 miles down the road into all of these possible outcomes mm -hmm. that, yeah, that could happen, but it also might not. And if it doesn't, we will have spent all sorts of precious sacred energy worrying and stressing. Mm -hmm. There's lots to, be, lots to be terrified about. And yet the mind can ramble and run on and you're just burning all of this precious energy. Yeah, yes, um, absolutely. And, and we, can, we can kind of like, we can fret, we can fear, we can paint the other side as uh, whatever the other side is for us. Sure, yeah. <laughs> um, as evil. Whoever your other side other is. Side <laughs> is. But, but there's a point when there's, there's a time for that 
that division, that splitting, but then there's a time for nuance. And there's a time even to say things like, okay, if racism is a problem, but let's not stop there. Because you could have a low anthropology, i.e. you think basically people are evil and bad, right? And so you're just saying, well, half of America is just evil and bad. You could have a low anthropology, but you can also say, well, what if that's a symptom of something else? What if actually there's legitimate pain in middle America, legitimate suffering, legitimate jobs lost, legitimate uh, you know, people who have, are dying of like, uh, diseases that came from factory work uh, or whatever it is. And those people have not had access to good education and have actually been given an easy answer to legitimate pain, which is what scapegoating is. It, it's like, oh, those people over there, they're the problem. You know, the liberals, the atheists, the gay community, whatever it is. And you go, okay, well, what if then we don't stop by saying there's racism, but we start to ask, why is there racism? Um, is there something in our political system that has failed a lot of people in our country? That's a very difficult thing to ask. Yes. Because it's saying, oh, actually, maybe there's something there's a problem that these people have been overlooked by the political system, the political regime, and actually we do need to listen and we do need to you know, consider what that protest and that, uh, their anger is. We're, oh my word, you already have me way down, you have me way ahead <laughs> in what I, what I wanted to cover. Okay, so we're gonna hold that thought yep. because I have a lot of things I wanna talk about with that. Um, orientation, disorientation, reorientation, and what struck me the past couple of days especially was part of standing firm is to stand in non-judgmental observance of your disorientation. Mm -hmm. Man, everything's spinning right now. Man, I am furious. Man, I am freaked. I am disappointed. I am sad. I am so let down. Um, the the art of it or the practice is not to judge your disorientation, but just to let it be what it is. Yes. To know that you're in disorientation and non-judgmental observance. This is what it is. Yeah, and to name it. I mean, it, it, it often in psychoanalysis, the first thing is simply to name what's going on. To say, oh, I think that there is legitimate anger here and fear here and, and, and you know, just to name it and to let it to let it be. Yeah, a friend of mine texted me and he said that all of his progressive, enlightened friends were completely losing their minds. Oh, yes. Yeah. And so he and I were talking about, hey, stand firm. Yeah. Stand firm and you're losing of your mind. I mean, th this is where a little <laughs> bit of Soren Kierkegaard is always helpful. Always you a know, little Kierkegaard. Is, is there not a point er that where Soren Kierkegaard is not unhelpful? <laughs> you know, he's always, he's always good. But he, he says actually that... Uh, for in faith, there is something that is inherently disruptive. So for him, it's like to believe that the infinite and the finite have met is absurdity and craziness. So the idea of, say, incarnation is just ridiculous. Um, he says there's something about faith that brings you into a place of experiencing paradox, of experiencing unknowing, of experiencing basically a no to all of your yeses. Uh, something that breaks apart all of your understanding of who is right and wrong inside and outside. And that actually for Kierkegaard, one of the, one of the signs of faith 
whether you believe in God or not or anything like that. One of the signs of faith is being able to be at peace with chaos, with paradox, with ah. the disruption of your existence. With the absurd, basically. This is why Kierkegaard's very connected with the absurd. He says, and the absurd is simply experiencing the breakdown of your world. Uh, electing a reality TV personality. Is absurd. To the President of the United States of America. <laughs> yeah. Kierkegaard would actually, what he had to say, like he, he would not be rattled by this. Yes. He would say, you know, there's, there's, th there's something about existence itself that unrattles us. I mean, he, he was before quantum mechanics, of course, but if you take something like quantum mechanics, there's something inherently unsettling about the universe we discover when we look at wave particle duality and stuff like that. But he's saying in faith um, and in politics and in love, there is inherent instability. Now, he's not saying accept it and love it. He's saying, he's saying embrace it and then work with it. And because th that's always the place where novelty and new worlds, new universes can be dreamt up. Oh, good, good, because we're going to get to that. Oh. I keep making you go further than so you want to like go. So it's like if Kierkegaard was teleported into the present or something, and you were like, hey, look what Americans just did. <laughs> I love it. Kierkegaard going, you think that's weird? Yes. <laughs> How about a heart and a body and desire and lust and love and po like all that trapped in this bag of skin and bones on a planet hurtling through space. Yeah. You want to talk about absurd. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, he, obviously he connects <laughs> this with Christianity a lot. He says the incarnation, that's crazy. That's absurd. The crucifixion, God dying, that's absurd. And, and, he, and, he, and he says, and part of the mark of, of, of someone of faith is simply that you do not lose your head when you encounter... Yes the breakdown of your reality, that actually that's potentially where new things happen. And one more thought on disorientation. And this, the really interesting thing that happens in disorientation is when the things you find coming out of your mouth, you realize you've heard from others. So you think about how many, how many regime changes around the world for literally thousands of years were not peaceful and nonviolent. Mm. You th this is... Actually, we have a democracy. Yeah. Um, you think about how the world actually is with rulers and power and governments and how we have it here. Yeah. And what's happened to me again and again is when I was experiencing some new pain or disorientation, I would find myself saying things that I had heard other people say, but I just, honestly, it kind of went in one ear out the other. Mm -hmm. I don't know what they're talking about. Oh, that's what they were talking about? Oh, that's what they... This is... You went through... I've gone to people and said, wait, wait. This thing that I'm experiencing, was this what you were talking about seven years ago? Oh. You're saying that you yeah, had other countries and other places... Well, you think about countries. other people, yeah. other countries, other... Um, you think about the ways in which in disorientation, you're like, I'm the first person to ever go through that. And then you when you stand firm in a sense and observe it, realize how many times you have heard people saying the very things that you're saying. Yep. And there is this empathy and compassion. And then even we have it so good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, if you, and if you're, even if, when we have it, absolutely. even when it's completely out of insane. Yeah. And if, if you're able to be at peace with the disruptions that are in your life, you're more e easily able to, be at peace with the disruptions in you know other people's lives and i think you know i grew up as i say in a, in a conflict situation where i saw 
disruption. It was part of daily life. I saw the response to disruption, which is splitting. They say trying to simplify the world into good people and bad people. Yeah. Um, and I see the damage that that can ultimately do. But the more that we can find a way of making peace with that disruption, the less likely we are to split, the less likely we are to demonize and simplify and make one-dimensional figures out of those we disagree with. Now, by the way, I'm not saying that let's all have tea and biscuits and get along, right? No, there's legitimate things to fight about. Absolutely. But, but as uh, the Irish comedian Dylan Moran says, war is, not the, uh, war is the absence of conflict. War is the point when you can't engage in conflictual dialogue with somebody else. You just want to kill them, right? You just want to get rid of them because you, you cannot stand the conflict of actually arguing and fighting with things. If we want to get past the war of good and bad, destroying the enemy and saving, you know, we're the heroes, uh, we need to be able to embrace conflict, embrace this space of disruption. Um, and that, that doesn't mean saying it's all wonderful and good. It's simply saying we should try not to give in to the very tempting defense mechanism of, of splitting the world. Man, I'm a, I'm a huge Green Day fan. I think Nimrod, by the way, is their, is their best album. Um, and I was struck with Billy Joe Armstrong, the singer of Green Day, did this thing on Instagram about, like, all of you, da 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 da, don't come anywhere near a Green Day concert. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I just wanted to be like, dude, no, go the other direction. Yes, yes. I know you're you're angry, of course, but man, like these people, these people, these people, none of you don't come anywhere near one of our shows. Oh, I know. No. No, yeah. come on, man. Yeah. Some of the some of the stuff I've seen. I have a, a good friend, someone I respect very deeply. But you know, he talked about uh, you know Trump and, and Trump supporters as a, as a cancer in America that needs chemotherapy, and Hillary Clinton was the chemotherapy. But the concern with that is, you know, you're whenever you say that someone has cancer uh, that needs basically eliminated. Um, there's just, I can understand, I can understand the anger, I really can, I can feel it in my own self, but, and I, I actually, fine, let's feel that, but over time, we need to find a different way of speaking, yeah. and I say that's what happened in Northern Ireland, where at one stage, you thought the British Army were the cancer, or you thought the IRA were the cancer, and there was a point after 30 years of bloody conflict where both sides had to simply say maybe you're not all evil and it wasn't anything more than that it was just maybe i can learn something from you maybe yeah. it's not yeah. you're not as evil as i think yeah. you are we're going to come back to that in a minute because that to me yeah okay we got to move on or we're going to be here all day <laughs> which would be fine um and by the way, I don't know if people can hear, like, there's a truck and there's a helicopter and there's a, um, the back house. My daughter and I, she made a fort and uh, we had breakfast in the fort in the back house. I it's have like to see she this. took like sheets and drying racks and the stand that we use for recording stuff and she made this huge bed sheet fort in there. So there wasn't even space for you and I to do 
This is, by the way, he's lying. We're in a multi-million dollar studio at the moment. And <laughs> that's all sound effects that have been like that. Is like all the oh, helicopters. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. That's a, there's exactly. a lot of money to make that sound authentic. Because <laughs> Rob's whole thing is he pretends that he's doing this in his house. You know, he pretends he's out in his garden in his shorts just hanging out. But no, it's a, it is an industrial complex. Oh, I'm glad you all enjoyed that and know how not true that is. And funny. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so uh, orientation, disorientation, reorientation. Um, okay, second thing I want to talk about yeah. is progress. Mm. Because I know for many people, the panic of the past couple of days has been, look at all the progress we've made. Are we now going to take, are we now going to go backwards? Are we now, like, what are these people who have come to power? What plans do they have? And what about all the incredible strides we've made? Uh, so... There's a couple things that immediately come to mind for me is when I think about my own life, all of the things, man, I would love to be farther along on that area. I would, I would love to be able to do better at that. I would love to be more mature in, in about those things. You, you know, like yeah. when I look at my own life, I have such an overwhelming sense that I haven't arrived, that I have so far to go, that I have so much to work on. But then I look back and realize, but if I look back a decade, hey, we've made a couple steps. Mm -hmm. uh, um, anybody listening, if we were to go through exactly how you saw the world 10 years ago and how you see it now, I assume you'd say, yeah, I've made some progress. So, so we all personally have this sense of we're not there. Man, do I have a lot of things about myself I would love to change. But also at the same time, we all affirm some sense that we aren't stuck 15 years ago. Yep. And that in some ways, it's, it's this long two steps forward, one step back. Sometimes, anybody know what I'm talking about? It feels like three steps back and a half step forward, five steps forward. Four. It's this long forward movement with a number of times when it feels like you're getting blown back or falling back or you stumble and fall and you're not making any progress or moments when you just really lose the plot and it's four steps back. Yeah. And that the personal is communal and the communal is political. Mm -hmm. And that progress, whether it's a person, a nation, a country, a community, a family, progress takes a long, long time, and there are numerous setbacks along the way, which we can all individually witness to in our own lives. And that this, in the communal life of America and the world, this is what progress looks like. Yeah. You, we had our first African-American president who cared deeply about the environment, about LGBT rights, mm -hmm. about helping everybody get affordable health care. Like, let's, let's move forward into a bright, hopeful future. And I know for many people, there is this dread of, oh my word, what's going to happen now? Is all of this going to be repealed and sent back? And are we going to take... 15 steps backwards. Mm -hmm. And I want to talk in a moment about resistance and about what it looks like going forward. And yet, this and the pain and the anger and the frustration, this is what progress looks like. Yep. All of it. The forward movement, the regressions, the pushback. Mm -hmm. um, this is... And if you look at the... American pattern of electing presidents, generally the president that's elected is a reaction to the previous president. Mm -hmm. 
So if we just had eight years of a certain kind of sensibility, intellect, and bearing on the role, you know what I mean? Yeah. The, what you see in history is, is often a response to that, yeah. which actually this move in a weird, twisted sort of way, you can see how that mm-hmm. then plays out. So yeah. your thoughts? Yeah, well, and to say something very disturbing <laughs> for a second is, you know, real substantive positive transformation is is a lot more difficult than we imagine. Yes. I, I think we understand this the older we get as individuals that we think we could have made progress sometimes when we haven't. So for example, when everything's going well in our life, we've got a good job, we've got money, things are good. Uh, we can often think that we're calm, we're reasonable, that we're not racist or whatever. But then something goes wrong and we lose our job and, and, then, and, and then suddenly you realize, oh, I've got all of this stuff inside me that I didn't even realize. So, for example, in Northern Ireland, um, after the peace process, it looked like sectarianism was basically dead. And people were getting, new jobs were coming in, their house prices were rising, people were not getting shot on the streets, the British army was, was going out of the country. And it seemed amazing. But then when the recession hit, and jobs were hard to come by, you realize that sectarianism was there under the surface. It was actually just, you just couldn't see it because then it came back. And then times got difficult and all those old resentments and Uh, divisions came right back to the surface. And, and, And it made us go, oh, maybe we haven't progressed quite as much as we thought we had. So sometimes, again, this is my way of trying not to demonize uh, those people who I think have legitimate concerns and anger about being left behind mm-hmm. is that it's easy for me to do that because you know I I'm benefiting from this system in many ways. Uh, but if if I was living in a place where I'd seen my family lose their jobs, uh, I didn't have any economic prospects. I was going to have to work uh, just you know, in a fast food restaurant for the rest of my life potentially. I might, you know, feel that actually that a lot, you know, I would feel legitimately angry and I would want to express that anger in some sort of way. So I think America has made incredible strides. There's been amazing things happening, but we have to be careful um, to realize that, that actually, you know, sometimes we haven't got as far as we think. And I think what, that's what we're seeing right now. We're seeing that, oh, Maybe we, are, we had an, like an ideal image of who we were and what we were, but there are serious economic problems we haven't addressed. There are serious yeah. problems about economic disparity we haven't addressed. Right, right. And I, uh, it's interesting to me, the number of people who are like, what do we do now? And it's, to me, if it's going to get bad or hard, or fr- what do we do now? We do what we've been doing the whole time, but with more passion more intelligence, more firmness, more kindness, yes. more subversion, yes. more John Stewart peaked under George Bush and retired under Obama. Yeah. Like, who knows what this is going to pull out of us from yes. nonviolent resistance to the power of satire to organizing better. When people are like, what are we going to do now? We're going to go to a whole new level. Yes. This, yeah. All this is going to do is call out what's deep inside of us and of course we're going to we've already in this campaign seen and heard things we can't erase 
yeah. from our minds forever. Yes. It's this already a, been traumatic. Yeah. Um, it's so a revelation. However, this is a revelation in the biblical sense. So, because something was revealed to us yes. uh, on the election, it was a revelation. Because what is a revelation? It is a unconcealing of something we could never have imagined. Right, right, right. So now we, we have something has been revealed about this country that we live in, and we have to work out what do we do with that revelation. Yes, exactly. And it was even I was struck with today high school students marching mm -hmm. in protest of the election results. However you feel about that, high school students caring yes. I mean, is the headline. That's incredible. Wait, wait, wait. Whatever happened yeah. got high school students to say, we care about our country, and we're going to band together peacefully to do something. So whether you were stuck in a traffic jam because they were marching down your street, however that, whatever the details are of that and the execution, let's just go to the impulse, which is, is this going to galvanize a whole new world of people going, a friend of mine who is way, way, way up on political world emailed today, and he's like, we have to do better at engaging all of the people who can vote to come out and vote. Like, his even read, and he had a lot invested in this going a certain way, and it didn't go his way, mm -hmm. but his read, beyond the, like, shock and whatever, was, how do we get more people... Yeah. No, like, I'm, we I, have to yeah. up our game, essentially. Yeah. That's true. I politically speaking, I am kind of like uh, I've I try to avoid too much involvement with government politics. My politics <laughs> is very much uh, grassroots. Yes. But, yes. but this is why I'm excited. This is why I'm excited by what I read today about the protests you're talking about. Is because I actually saw a French philosopher just two nights ago speak uh, in L.A. A guy called Alain Badiou, one of the great living philosophers, and he was talking about war and politics and the connection between the two. And his position, which I feel very close to, is that at times of disruption like this, a third possibility arises, which is not at the level of government and not at the level of a populist movement. There is small pockets of people rise up and they enact and they create alternative political spaces. Now, I call these liturgies liturgical spaces, but I don't mean by that churches. This could be a bookshop that does really cool events. It could be a coffee shop that you set up that creates a space for everyone to, to talk together in the community. But these liturgical spaces are performative enactments of the world that you want to see in the present. They are performative enactments of what's called the eschaton, the next, the next world, the world of equality. We perform that today, right here, in a space. and You act out what you want to see come into reality. Exactly. These are, uh, Hakim Bey talks about this, and my friend Kester Bruin, temporary autonomous zones. These are zones where they're autonomous, they're I, I disconnected from the political system. They're temporary, like they don't exist forever. Um, and and there's spaces where there's equality, where people have a voice, where people take power mm -hmm. uh, back. And this is always the possibility that happens at times of disruption. And I already am seeing that two days or one day after this election, we're already seeing students, young people, uh, galvanizing and creating these alternative spaces. That, that's politics proper for me. That's, that's where the rubber hits the road. Because as you mentioned with Obama, with all of that power behind him, all of that goodwill, and he couldn't enact what I considered like his first 
thing, the first thing mm -hmm. on his agenda. So that I still f I feel pretty much the same about Trump. A lot of the things that he said he's going to do, he's already taking them off his website. <laughs> he's already <laughs> deleting tweets, you know. So and, and the ones that he's not deleting, I'm like, okay, I I do I wouldn't I'm not going to bet my savings on this, <laughs> little as they are. But but I would say that we may be surprised how little damage he can do. Um, and, and, and the positivity is that actually this might politicize a generation in a deep way, not in, the in a real way. way, in a real way. Yes, like local. Look, yes. Like, let's go down to the township hall. Like, let's go over to the library to that meeting. Like, yeah. let's own the shared common life we have together right in the spaces where we actually can right now. Yes. And this is I mean, maybe this is the most controversial thing about about my position, which is you know, that actually, if Hillary had won, we would all be breathing a sigh of relief in a sense and going, that's great. But, but, but what we may have lost, one, is the protest, the, the, the Trump supporters, we might have just written them off. And like, actually, that was the next thing I, was, I wanted to oh, talk about. Is so, that right? so go ahead. Yeah, oh, go ahead. Okay. that was my third big idea. Oh, well, you say it, then you talk you. about it and we'll... No, go. Okay. Well, <laughs> I worry that the protest that that is, whatever that is, and we have to take time to understand it, whenever the anger has subsided, that might not be listened to. That might have been pushed to one side. And also, business as usual would have continued. Yes. Now, what both Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump represent in different, very different ways was a challenge to, a possible yes. challenge to establishment politics. Um, and so in, in, if either of them had got in, I think we would have been what we find is is these grassroots political things happening that might not have happened if Hillary Clinton had got in. Okay, and that leads me to my third thing because yep. this is the thing that that uh, that your splitting really helps me to think about why why this next thing is so important. Donald Trump at some point was like, I should run for president. Mm -hmm. And apparently his wife said, if you run, you'll win. Yeah. Which was a quote that made the rounds, and everybody was like, that is the funniest... Mm -hmm. what, what, what planet is this woman living on? Yeah. Was sort of general sentiment. And then you had, yeah, but he has no team. Mm -hmm. And Jeb Bush has, what, $100 million saved up? And, like, and then he just proceeded to eliminate his Republican rivals, saying, I'm going to win. Why else would I do this? Mm -hmm. And you have a giant established world of experts. Yep. Uh, coastal elites is the mm -hmm. phrase that gets used again. Who are like, well, well, you can't break that rule. Well, you can't break that rule. Well, you can't say that. And then they had, they would interview like his campaign manager, and she would say, Donald Trump won this debate. To which everybody would be like, w did you see that debate? Yep. Um, and she said, because he's going to win the election. And that got to be among a large number of people just a running joke. A joke, a joke. I, all these jokes about, oh, can we call her president now? You know, <laughs> even that famous tweet where now she probably didn't put it out, but on her Twitter. Oh, on said, Hillary Clinton. On Hillary Clinton's thing, you know, uh, happy birthday to the future president. Right. Because right. everybody was like, that idea that he could win is utterly absurd. Utterly absurd. And in the wisdom tradition, it talks again and again and again about humility. Humility, humility, humility. And what strikes me is, on election night, what you had is all of these experts who have been doing this for a long time saying, I had no idea. Mm -hmm. I totally missed this. 
we totally... So then my question becomes, how much pain are you in mm-hmm. that you would overlook this laundry list of things about this candidate and actually vote for him? Exactly. How deep is your antipathy towards the system? Yeah. How bad has the system failed you that you would rather elect this person than have the system keep going? And what am I missing? Because millions and millions of people were like, these people who keep saying he's going to win are idiots. They, they turned out to be right. Yep. And all the smart people who read the New York Times are, were wrong. Yep. Wrong. Yes. And you could even see it on national television live, very smart, respected people going, I, there's a lot of things I now realize I don't know. Yep. Which Huffington Post called it like 97% chance Hillary's going to win. I mean, all of the people who pride themselves on being in, knowledgeable, enlightened, informed, and, and to their credit, oftentimes on Tuesday night were just like, we were wrong. And they were right. So, yeah. so that, to me, raises all sorts of questions about how did this many people miss it. But then the deeper question is, how has this system, as it currently operates, how has it so deeply disenfranchised, wounded, turned off, embittered, whatever language you want to use, that you would see this candidate yep. totally unqualified, almost zero knowledge about policy, let alone these things that have said misogyny, racism. I mean, we, the, we, the we're all tired of even the list. <laughs> yeah. That's the and question. Me, that is the question. And if, exactly what you said, if Hillary would have won, we would have just been like, ah, yep. the, the same old crazy people. But Hillary Clinton didn't win, and now that voice got the power yes. and it it feels to me like some I don't ha- I can be just as uh, no those are not attitudes not that we want anything to do with and yet I can still ask the question these are my neighbors yep these yep. are our fellow Americans these are our fellow citizens we have to take it seriously now we and wouldn't have had to have taken it seriously exactly otherwise. and true wisdom can True wisdom starts asking questions. Yes. What did we miss? What is happening in this system yep. that it has? What is it about a sense that people are owned by large corporations? What is it that po- politicians are just saying what they need? To say? Like, yeah. what is it about this yes. system that doesn't work for so many people? Listen, you know, the, in, in Batman, the Joker... Could not. I did not see that coming, by the way. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, the Joker could not get to do what he does without hundreds of people who have no jobs, no money working for him. They're the ones who are planting the explosives. They're the yeah. ones who are causing chaos in Gotham City. Yeah. The Joker would just be this crazy weirdo hanging around Gotham. But the reason why he exists in the in the Gotham universe is is because something is damaged and wrong within the whole city of Gotham itself. And in the same way in Northern Ireland, the IRA actually were a very weak force 
they didn't have the support of people. They did not have the support of their community until the British Army came in and there was a what was called internment, where you could arrest anybody and keep them in prison for, or keep them and interrogate them for 30 days without charge. And when that happened and people saw how it was abused, the community started to rally around those people who resisted this policy and the IRA were basically galvanized and strengthened. If, if you go, okay, Donald Trump is this kind of crazy comic figure who's also deeply flawed and deeply dis disgusting, you still have to ask, well, what a, why? Why did he get so worried? Because he could only get there if people voted for him. And as I say, you could have a low anthropology where you say everybody's evil and bad except for me and Mike. Right, right. And by the way, that's called the beautiful soul syndrome. Beautiful soul. It sounds beautiful. You know, beautiful soul. Yeah, beautiful soul. But the but uh, for Hegel um, and then Lacan, beautiful soul was this developmental phase where you cannot look at your own darkness and your own brokenness, so you project it out. So you keep your own soul beautiful by saying there's a monster under the bed. So there's a point when children do that where they say there's the monster under the bed. Now the monster's really in them. That, that's their own projected stuff. Uh, but they can't cope with that. So they project it out. Um, and in many ways what we see is we, we do want to accept that we're responsible for Trump. Maybe the culture and the society that we're in in some way and we have to listen to, to the yes. cry of those people who protested, work out why. And when we do that, we will progress as a society. Yeah, I, I talked to a friend yesterday who said, I'm, I'm totally shocked and bewildered. And as I move through it, I've determined that I am going to set out to understand mm -hmm. why my fellow citizens would make this choice. That's exactly the question we have to ask. And that to me was like, oh, you cannot with a straight face say, you know, you just got to love your neighbor and not say, why would my neighbor do this? Mm -hmm. And that takes you back to humility. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that you somehow no, no longer have convictions or you don't call horrible things horrible things, but you do at a deep human level begin with, it's, a, it's like a, a sort of curiosity. Mm -hmm. Tell me more. What is it about that? How did that provoke you? How do you see that? Yes. That you were willing to blow, and I for a while have had this sense like, this system doesn't seem to be working and it needs to be blown up. And then a group of people actually were like, no, you really do need to blow up the system. Yeah. I mean, because we are blind to injustices that we see. I walk around L.A. and I'll be perfectly honest, I can shut myself off yeah. from the homeless person who's lying yeah. on the street. I can yeah. shut myself off from their cry that says, I am a human being. I am yeah. So if I can shut myself off from, from the, the things that I see with my eyes, how much more can I shut myself off from what's going on in, in, in Kentucky? And then how much more can I shut myself off from what's going on uh, with bombing Syria, Libya, Pakistan, yeah. Afghanistan, Iraq, Iran? It's, it's incredible what we can do. But now this cry is being heard. And what we can do is we can split and say they are the evils hate them, they are the bad, they are the wrong, and we are the good and the right. We can close our ears and try to flee from it and just kind of like just get on with life. 
or we can listen to it and we can say what does this say what can we learn and how can this help us heal and move forward as a country oh so beautiful so beautiful so my friends we're going to stand firm we're going to love justice we're going to walk humbly we're going to keep going and we're going to get better we're going to up our game we're going to ask even better questions yeah we're we're going to be even more rooted uh, and i love in the wisdom tradition how it keeps talking about uh the fear of the lord is the beginning of wisdom this idea when you have a deep respect and reverence for for the forces of life themselves mm-hmm. um and this word lord comes out of this tradition of exodus and liberation you've been liberated yeah and you've been given a gift yeah and wisdom begins with great profound respect and gratitude for how you've been liberated and the life you've been given yeah. and now in that spirit go do your work in the world and and the, the, this one there's two types of hope and one type of hope is dying right now one type of hope is it'll all be okay right it'll all be okay in the end we'll all get to the the the, the sweet by and by and you just sit back and you don't do anything and potentially if if things had gone the way we thought that that kind of hope would still be alive ah interesting but a second kind of hope grows in disturbance and it's like the hope that your kid will go to college it's a hope that demands you do something you know, so you have to save up the money you have to pick schools oh, you have to do this come so, on yeah so that is the hope That's that is good. birth after the death of a hope of oh it's all going to be fine everything's progressing i can sit back and watch netflix that dies what we have to do is galvanize the second type of hope the hope that we can make a better world but a hope that says we have to put our shoulder to the wheel of history and push and push and push I don't even think we should add one more thing to that. Amen. Amen. <laughs> my my brothers and sisters, my Robcast friends, there are a few thoughts on standing firm. There's a few thoughts on our world today. And um, Pete, it's always such joy for you to come on the Robcast. I love it so much. Always enjoy so much. And you know, one thing I'll say, by the way, when I went home after the elections, my friend Connor, my flatmate, he said... Um, you know, how was that? And I said, it was good. I said, you know, Rob felt very calm in the midst of the storm. And he said, he said, I think that guy has a sense of being rooted in something deeper. So when you called me today and said, I want to talk about that, I was like, oh, my, my housemate, I think he, he, uh, he got something very important about your spirit. When everything was going crazy, you... You we had some people pacing around the, our, oh, my yeah. house, didn't we? <laughs> there was a lot of that going we on. Some, <laughs> we had some DEFCON 4. Yeah. But I was yeah. like, nah, I'm just going to make some tacos. Yeah. John, keep- John Caputo, my <laughs> philosopher, he predicted it, and my partner, she predicted it. Two people, but there's the only two people I knew, and they said, he's going to win. And they said it six months ago. Yeah, but, you know, my, uh, my older son, we never stopped talking about this. Mm. We, have, we read and watch everything, and he... All along, he just kept saying, you have to understand that money and politics and the sense that there is a a network and a system that works for some, he says, that will, that could, you just, you have, you cannot underestimate how much people are sick of the system. Mm -hmm. So my son has been all along, he's like, I'm not saying 
who's going to win? I'm just saying, do not underestimate that. Yeah. Because there's a whole new, he's keep saying, there's a whole new world of us who get money out of it. Mm -hmm. Get all these weird cronyisms out of it. Yep. Um, purify the thing. And good Lord, what fascinating days. Oh, well, I'm glad we're neighbors and I'm glad we're going to keep doing this kind of thing. Thanks. Grace and peace, my friends.